Okay, we are doing chapter five, Capitalist Realism. Chapter's entitled October 6, 1979. Don't let yourself get attached to anything. Paul, do you mind um, starting her off here? Yeah, I'm not attached to the idea, but... Uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> In quotes, a guy told me one time, says organized crime boss Neil McCauley in Michael Mann's 1995 film Heat, don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. One of the easiest ways to grasp the differences between Fordism and post-Fordism is to compare Mann's film with the gangster movies made by Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese between 1971 and 1990. In Heat, the scores are undertaken not by families with links to the old country, but by roots, rootless crews in an L.A. of polished chrome and interchangeable designer kitchens, of featureless freeways and late-night diners. All the local color, the cuisine aromas, cultural idolects, uh, or idiolects, which the likes of The Godfather and Goodfellas depended on, have been painted over and refitted. Heats Los Angeles is a world without landmarks, a branded sprawl where markable territory has been replaced by endlessly repeating vistas of replicating franchises. The ghosts of old Europe that stocked Scorsese and Coppola's streets have been exercised, buried with ancient beefs, bad blood, and burning vendettas somewhere beneath the multinational coffee shops. You can learn a great deal about the world of heat from considering the name Neil Macaulay. It isn't an anonymous name, a fake passport name, a name that is bereft of history, in parentheses, even as ironically, it echoes the name of British historian Lord Macaulay, in parentheses. Compare Corleone and remember that the Godfather was named after a village. Macaulay is perhaps the part that De Niro played that is closest to the actor's own personality. A screen, a cipher, a depthless, icy professional, stripped down to peer preparation research. Method, I do what I do best, in parentheses. Macaulay is no mafia boss, no puffed up chief perched atop a Baroque hierarchy governed by codes as solemn and mysterious of those of the Catholic Church and written in the blood of a thousand feuds. His crew are professionals, hands-on entrepreneur speculators, crime technicians, whose credo is the exact opposite of Cosa Nostra family loyalty. Family ties are unsustainable in these conditions, as Macaulay tells the Pacino character, the driven detective, Vincent Hanna. Now, if you're on me and you gotta move when I move, how do you expect to keep a marriage? Hannah is Macaulay's shadow, forced to assume his insubstantiality, his perpetual mobility. Like any group of shareholders, Macaulay's crew is held together by the prospect of future revenue. Any other bonds are optional extras, almost certainly dangerous. Their arrangement is temporary, pragmatic, and lateral. They know that they are interchangeable machine parts, that there are no guarantees, that nothing lasts. Compared to this, the Goodfellas seem like sedentary sentimentalists rooted in dying communities, doomed territories. I don't have like a ton I think I could add to that other than having watched many of those movies multiple times. I just never picked up on that like stark difference. No, no. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. And um, that's the sort of thing that I just envy so much. You know, it's like being, it's kind of like with, with skateboarding, you know, it's like once you've been skateboarding a little bit, when you drive around, um, the streets look totally different, right? Yeah. Like you, you notice ledges and benches and, uh, you know, Smoke Jersey barriers. Uh, yeah. yeah. Pound stairs. And, and this is stuff that people don't do at all. Normal yeah. people don't do at all. And when you are 
someone that is um, cultural critic, like uh, Mark Fisher, you see stuff, you see patterns, and you see stuff in film and in art that um, people like myself don't notice. Like if Maybe someone's... Right, right. But um, if someone had asked me prior to reading this, like, what's the the main uh, difference between Heat and, like, Goodfellas, I would be like, well, Heat's just a more modern take yeah. on that, right? I'm yeah. just like, oh, it's just more modern. Um, it's more contemporary. When in reality, it, it does, and in a sense, that's correct, but it does, like he's saying, show the clear distinction between uh, something tied to history yeah. and tradition and something that is more of an emphasis on capital. Now, this is super awkward of me because it's the book I literally have on my hands, but I don't know if I can go back and immediately find the quote. But it's kind of similar to like what he was talking about with like those things that previous cultures did to ward off the total effects of capitalism, like keeping traditions and like things yep. of that are alive is like, that is kind of an example of that where in the mafia of Goodfellas and Godfather, that family aspect that like, this is, you know, our family comes first. We're focused on that. Sometimes they make bad decisions in name of the family, things of that nature um, are kind of more holding on to tradition and then heat where it's just like, dude, fuck, are we going to get enough money for this? Nah, let's dip or like, what's fun. Yeah. Such a, and you know, no roots, like not being in fucking, you know, I'm in New York, I'm in Chicago. This is where, Obviously, that shit was very clear in the film, but sure as shit, some stuff I didn't see. And I guess if you had already written or were in the process of writing a book where that was the thing you'd already identified. And plus, I mean, obviously, Mark Fisher was just on another level. Right. And that's what I always wonder about is like a chicken or the egg thing. Did he think about this concept and then go looking for it in movies? Right. Or did he notice this concept in movies and then and then write about it? You get what yeah. I'm saying? Like, oh, I sure do. I'm stoked for it. Yeah, me too. I'll, uh, I'll take it up. The ethos espoused by McConley uh, is the one which Richard Sennett explains in the, the corrosion of character, the personal con consequences of work in the new capitalism. A landmark study of the effective changes that the post-Fortist reorganization of work has brought about. The slogan which sums up the new conditions is no long term, where formerly workers could acquire a single set of skills and expect to progress upwards through a rigid organizational hierarchy. Now they are required to periodically reskill as they move from institution to institution, from role to role. As the organization of work is decentralized with uh, lateral networks replacing pyramidal or pyramidal hierarchies. A, a premium is put on flexibility. Echoing Macaulay's mo mockery of Hannah in Heat, how do you expect to keep your marriage? Senate em emphasizes the intolerable stresses that these conditions of permanent instability put on a family or on family life. The values that family life depends upon, obligation, trustworthiness, commitment, are precisely those which are held to the obsolete in the new capitalism. Yet with the with the public sphere under attack, 
and the safety nets that a nanny state, in parentheses, used to provide being dismantled. The family becomes an increasingly important place of respite from the pressures of a world in which instability is a constant. The situation of the family in post-Fordist capitalism is contradictory in precisely the way that traditional Marxism expected. Capitalism requires the family as an essential means of reproducing and caring for labor power as a solve for the uh, psychic wounds inflicted by anarchic social economic conditions. What does that mean, anarchic? I don't know. And now I feel stupid because I feel, not stupid, but I feel like I overlooked. Uh, I read that as being like anarchy. Now that I look at the word, uh, yeah, it is like anarchy with no controlling rules or principles to give order. Oh, is Uh, it? Okay. Okay. Um, All right. Anarchic. Anarchic. Okay. I'm going to start at the... um, Uh, the parentheses again, as an essential means of reproducing and caring for labor power as a solve for the psychic wounds inflicted by anarchic social economic conditions, even as in it undermines it, denying parents time with children, putting intolerable stress on couples as they become the exclusive source of effective consolation for each other. According to Marx, economic uh, economist Christian uh, Marazzi, sure. yeah. okay. uh, Christian Marazzi, the switch from Fordism to post-Fordism can be given a very specific date, uh, October 6, 1979. It was on that date that the Federal Reserve in- increased interest rates by 20 points, preparing the way for the supply side economics that would constitute the economic reality in which we are now enmeshed. The rise in interest rates not only contained inflation, it, uh, it made possible a new organization of the means of production and distribution. The rigidity, in quotes, of the Fordist production line gave way to a new, in quotes, flexibility, a word that will send chills of recognition down the spine of every worker today. This flexibility was defined by a deregulation of capital and labor. With the workforce being casualized with an increasing number of workers employed on a temporary basis and outsourced. Um, That's that that shit I was talking about yesterday with the construction workers and shit is that they ever get hired for a, a real permanent job it's always fucking contract to contract you'll be out of work for three weeks four weeks three months in between this shit yeah and that's it and it, you know i would always to really emphasize the family part it's like dude i've had so many jobs that expect me to require travel 70 percent of the time and things like that nature uh and then i also get kind of weird pressure or weird questions asked because I'm not further along in my family life. And it's like, so you want me to have a kid that just stays at home while I'm fucking in hotels all the time? Right. Yeah. That's not my ideal of what I want a family with. Um, But for those construction workers, yeah, dude, they would have to fly all over the country, not often, but occasionally uh, abroad um, to do these projects for months at a time. Um, And I know that they, unless they save their money really well, but, most of the time that money was going straight home so they didn't have 
uh, money for you know time to go visit their family for a weekend or whatever. These people would just be completely separated. And then obviously, uh, I'm not saying this is common in every situation, but I know unfortunately, like while I was working with these people, a lot of my workers went through divorces and, and families being split up. And you know, once again, it, I was a, a cog, but to say that I didn't feel some guilt with that being like, fuck, dude, I can't believe, you know, I sent fucking you know roger on a four-month trip and now he came back and his wife is gone like fuck dude Uh, yeah you know shit like that and yeah there's just still not any sort of pressure release on either of those situations Mm -hmm. like there's not like america doesn't still like kind of view you as somewhat of uh, uh outside of society if you don't have a family by a certain age and uh you're certainly not allowed to uh you know take lower paying job or you are allowed but it's frowned upon if you were like oh yeah i was in this field but then i i slowed down because i wanted to focus on my family uh that you know is often met with disdain or that's maybe an exaggeration but that's also often met with disapproval among peers as well that's just a a shitty catch-22 man yeah and two things like that i wanted to mention one was uh what you were talking about with taking like paid positions that are less stressful so you can interact with your family more you know, and how that's kind of maybe looked down upon or whatever. I've experienced that at my current job, I feel like to a certain extent, because I have had times where um, rather than sticking around when it was slower, I uh, took the option to go home so that I could see my girlfriend or whatever. And I feel like that contributes to the fact that although I have the same qualifications as many people that have moved up. I still haven't moved up because those people didn't do that sort of stuff. They were always there to, um, whenever there was an option to leave, they, they often did not take it. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, no, when, uh, to, in my experience, when a job understands that you have uh, relayed anything that implies that that job is not your top priority in your life, they just disregard you for any sort of forward momentum within the company. Like the executives and stuff that I've worked with, dude, if they see their family, it's so sparingly that it's it's fucking shocking. It's like, why did you bother to have a family if you see your kids three hours a week? Like, right. you know, the kids are well provided for. They have nannies and things of that nature. But it's just it's a weird, weird kind of thing. Yeah. And then the other thing I was going to say. Me, it's weird to me. I don't mean to call it a weird thing in general. To me, it feels weird. The other thing I was going to say is it is interesting how the majority of of conservatives are you know so pro family value uh, values yeah. and so pro family and and i understand that that some on the far right have over the past maybe like 20 years or so seen what capitalism has done to uh, the family unit and are against that but the majority of like mainstream conservatives are still you know pro neoliberalism and yet they don't see how that totally conflicts with the, the family. family values. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and like, you know, for, um, this recent CEO I interacted with and it was for a very short time, but he bragged about working for 18 hours a day. Um, but also made sure to highlight that he spent at least one hour a day with his family. Right. Like that was something that, was supposed to be admirable and it's just like man i wonder how your family feels about getting one out of your 18 hours yeah and it's interesting because to these people 
maybe a decade ago, homosexuality and now transgenderism plays <laughs> in their minds such a larger threat to the family unit yeah. than something like capitalism. And it's so funny mm -hmm. how when you look when you look at it, it's very clear that capitalism has done way more to cause divorce and yeah. cause tension than transgenderism or right. homosexuality ever will. Mention the fact that I have known both transgender uh, people in the transgender community, and as well as you know people who are homosexual that have beautiful fucking family, beautiful, right. full of love, commitment, yeah. like loyalty, all the values that you know conservative Christians love, but because they're doing it in a slightly different appearance wise it just drives them fucking insane right like uh senate Morazzi recognizes that the new conditions both required and emerged from an increased cybernetization of the working environment the fordist factory was crudely divided into blue and white collar work with the different types of labor physically delimited by the structure of the building itself yeah, laboring in noisy environments, watched over by managers and supervisors, workers had access to language only in their breaks, in the toilet, at the end of the working day, or when they were engaged in sabotage. Because of communication interrupted production. Oh, because communication interrupted production. But in a post-Fordism, when the assembly line becomes a flux of information, people work by communicating. As Norbert Viner taught, communication and control entail one another. Work and life become inseparable. Capital flow follows you when you dream. Time ceases to be linear, becomes chaotic, broke down into punctiform divisions. As production and distribution are restructured, so are nervous systems. The function effectively as a component of just-in-time production, you must develop a capacity to respond to unforeseen events. You must learn to live in conditions of total instability or precarity, as the ugly neologism uh, has it. Periods of work alternate with periods of unemployment. Uh, typically, you find yourself employed in a series of short-term jobs, unable to plan for the future. It's, um, and it's, it's yeah. really such a hard, shitty lifestyle. Like, I, mm -hmm. like it obviously sounds shitty in words, but having seen people having to like structure their lives around it um, is just, uh, it's really shitty because they, they, they don't have any control of when the work is going to come or go. Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't have any control of the wages that are going to be offered for the job either. Like it's, yep. it's decided ahead of time. There is no wiggle room. You can't negotiate for a higher wage. It's basically like, well, take this or don't take it. And then even the perks, well, whatever, I'm going too far into it. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's a really unbelievably stressful way um, to live a life. There's no question about it. And it, it just immediately stops your ability for savings or, doing the uh, foundational things for a comfortable future, house purchasing, you're moving too often. There's just a lot of things are taken away from you that allow you to create any sort of stability in your life. Um, and not that everybody needs that, but there are a lot of people who really... Uh, both Marazzi and Senate uh, point out that this disintegration of stable working patterns was in part driven by the desires of workers. It was they who quite rightly did not wish to work in the same factory for 40 years. 
Anyways, the left has never recovered from being wrong-footed by capital's mobilization and meta, met, metabolization uh, of the desire for emancipation from Fordist routine. Especially in the UK, the traditional representatives of the working class, union and labor leaders, found Fordism rather too congenial. Its stability of antagonism gave them a guaranteed role, but this meant that it was easy for the advocates of post-Fordist capital to present themselves as the opponents of the status quo, bravely resisting an inertial organized labor, pointlessly invested in fruitless ideological antagonism, which served the ends of union leaders and politicians, but did little to advance the hopes of the class they purportedly represented. Antagonism is not now located externally in the face off between class blocks, but internally in the psychology of the worker, who, as a worker, is interested in old-style class conflict, but as someone with a pension fund, is also interested in maximizing the yield from his or her investments. There is no longer an identifiable external enemy. The consequence is, Marazzi argues, that post-Fordist workers are like the Old Testament Jews after they left the house of slavery. Liberated from a bondage to which they had no wish to return, but also abandoned, stranded in the desert, confused about the way forward. Dude, oh my God, that's so, like, I'm like getting choked up. I, that is like yeah. so true and so fucked. It is yeah, just so fucked. It's very much how I feel. I guess I can understand not wanting to stay at a factory for 40 years, uh, but from dear God, from the bottom of my heart. Do I wish that I could just have that fucking stability or any sort of stability? Because without it just doesn't allow you to pursue anything outside of work. Like if you don't have any fucking stability, even if you have free time because you can't find work in that free time, uh, unless you're a much more amazing individual than I am. I spend so much of the time just completely stressed that I don't have a job and I don't you know, have confidently what's going to next month is going to look like or the month after that. And it just, it sucks out so much fucking energy and it sucks out so much enjoyment. It just, for me, I just feel like in a stasis. It's just like, I'm just here existing and I don't even have the foundational blocks to put together what I would like to see as like a, uh, something that I feel would add more meaning um, to what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, uh, and that's what so upsets me about future generations not being able to understand what we're going through and i think or past generations i mean um i think if we had more depression era folks around they might be able to relate more uh and understand the plight um and i'm, I'm not trying to generalize i'm not saying all boomers are shitbags or whatever but they just don't understand that feeling that feeling that we can't even obtain the basic blocks that, you know, I don't have exact numbers, but I'm very confident in this, um, the things like full-time grocery store jobs used to be able to do uh, in, you know, the 50s through 70s and things of that nature. And probably realistically, according to this, through 1979, um, where you could have a stable job that didn't require constant training, constant evolution in the job. And then you could focus on things like you know, building horse barns and all of those fucking skills that our generations have that they uh, lament us for not having. And it's like, oh, dude, I just never had the time or resources to even begin to think about buying power tools or fucking. Yep. The other thing that one of the things that gets to me, too, is that when they talk about uh, just how the situation isn't like how a lot of uh, conspiracy theories are framed. It's not that there were like these evil people 
sitting in a room being like, oh, we want to destroy the world or we want to control the world. It's like different different people like the workers themselves were like we're tired of the routine of fordism and then yeah. an, another group of people come out and they're like well you know could engage in a system where there isn't class conflict and there isn't you know you versus the worker i mean there isn't white collar versus blue collar everyone's working together and it sounds so positive and so good <coughs> yeah but the the consequences were at least by the working class, not, not seen, you know, uh, it is just really, really um, heartbreaking that it's like kind of like out of the pan into the fire sort of thing. Yeah. And it, I probably have no basis for this. I don't want to go into like what exactly makes me think this, but the other thing would be that there was a concerted effort to convince that way of life was not the best that it could be. Um, I definitely think probably the workers wanted that change, but part of me thinks it's because they were sold a bullshit package. Right. Um, the other example would be uh, like 401k, you know, like dude, 401ks in my opinion suck ass. Your whole retirement is based on how well the stock market is when you turn 65 or whatever. Like that's such a gamble piece of shit thing to do. Um, but they were just sold as this like, oh dude, retirement's finally solved. We finally figured out people are sick of knowing how much money they're going to have in retirement. This way you could retire with up to 1.5 million. They just don't, you know, when you could have only had 500,000, they just forget to leave out the parts like, or it could turn out to be 20 bucks. We're not sure, but you know, it's, uh, they packaged all this shit in such a like slick, like this is the way of the future sort of shit. And it, really conveniently forgot to leave out the possible consequences um, when presenting these ideas as well. Totally frustrating and so heartbreaking. I don't know. I feel like this is a you good place to... Do oh, you, stop? You, okay. Is that okay to, to wrap it up here? Is, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I feel like that is such a good, like a fucking heavy thing to yeah. end on and, and to think about just that last uh, section you read there. Uh, was just so clutch, yeah. and 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 I think it's a good, uh, good like crescendo to end on, and then we can pick yeah. up next time at the uh, the uh, first full paragraph on thirty five. So oh, okay, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out, and thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Have a great day.